Hey, Rafer. Hey, Kristen. Have you ever uh, been through something that would make you say, I'm a survivor? I don't know. I don't know. Not really. Really? (laughs) Not at all. I mean, aside from my entire life, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) You're talking like a sort of like a real crisis or like a a near-death experience or something like that. I'm not sure I have. Have you? I made it through high school. Oh, okay. Well, that certainly counts, You know I what? I think all of us who made it through high school, <laughs> we're totally survivors, right? We all get to call ourselves survivors. I guess that's true. Okay. <laughs> well, in that case, I survived. Did I ever. I flourished. Look at you now. Look at me now. Look at you now. You're just like Romy and Michelle. You're just <laughs> all in one. That's what you are. Exactly. Yeah. You know why I'm asking you about surviving. I think I do. Because this week's movies are all about survival. Yes. Well, we survive these movies. Oh, hey. (laughs) (laughs) So the first of them, The Fault in Our Stars, which is about being a teenager living with cancer. And then we also have a movie about surviving aliens and time travel. Yes. And surviving death, actually. Yeah, you have to survive a lot of things. And that's in the movie Edge of Tomorrow. Right. And then. You know, there actually is a movie about surviving high school <laughs> <That's right. laughs> on this week's lineup as well. And that's Gia Coppola and James Franco's new movie, Palo Alto. That's right. And we'll be talking to Gia Coppola uh, near the end of this podcast. But before we do all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And this is Movie Day. And so you're back. From outer space, you just walked into high school with that sad look on your face. I should have heard the movie date, I should have heard all the reviews if I had known for just one second. All the crap you'd try to view, oh no, not you. We will survive as long as movie day Okay, well, um, I'm going to give a brief summary okay. of Edge of Tomorrow. You do that. Let's, see you, let's just see you do that. And if I can do that, I want a Peabody Award <laughs> for managing this. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the new action sci-fi film with Tom Cruise. He plays a an, an army spokesperson in the future uh, during a, a massive global war against an alien species called the Mimics. And against his will, he is suddenly sent to the front lines by an Irish general. And don't forget, all of the all of the world's armies have come together in a in a, a unit now called the United Defense Force, which explains why Brendan Gleeson can play the Irish general who sends Tom Cruise to the front. And uh, Tom Cruise goes to the front. He straps on his nifty exosuit, lands on the beach, starts firing away, and is instantly killed. But then, of course, he wakes up to live the day once more. And as he lives the day over and over, he learns a little bit more about what's happening and uh, what he needs to do along the way. He meets Rita Vritasky. She's the one of the legendary super soldiers in the, in the war. And it turns out she understands what's happening to him as well. Here's a clip. Come on! The ship is going to explode! What are you doing? Find me when you wake up. What? Come find me when you wake up. Now, I love time travel movies, as do you, Kristen. Yes, of course. What's not to love? I love an action movie, and I also love a war movie, and I love Emily Blunt. Yeah. And I know you love Tom Cruise. I do. I love Tom Cruise. You know, the guy is 51 years old. I think he is still a great action hero. He gives these performances, no matter what you think of the movie and how preposterous they are, how typical they are, Tom Cruise is just 100% there. He's 100% there on the screen with you, and you're with him 
he, he, he never sleepwalks through these movies. The movie may sleepwalk around him, but he never does. And I just think that's – he's tremendous. I always love Tom you, Cruise. You don't mind that kind of, hey, I'm winking at you. No, I don't think he does that. I don't think hey, he does that. Hey, I'm, I'm Tom Cruise. <laughs> Check it out. Maybe I'm being a little too cocky. Maybe, I, maybe, no. Maybe I'm being so cocky that I'm going to be taught a lesson, but in the end I'll win. Because I'm well, hockey. Well, because he's Tom Cruise. He's Tom Cruise. Yeah. No, I love Tom Cruise, and I think he's as good in this as he always is. But the movie, I just don't know. You know why? Because you did something that you always tell me not to do during time travel movies. Which is? Think about logic. This you is think, not the place to do it. You think I'm not taking my own advice? Yeah. Okay. There, there comes a point. One must draw the line somewhere. The movie has got to make some modicum of sense. This movie really makes none. Well, you know what? I was fine with that. Really? Because here's why. I'm like, this is stupid. This is just a dumb action movie. And for all of its action, it's not actually gruesome, which I totally No, enjoyed. no, it's not. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, um, in some ways, I thought it was a mashup between Saving Private Ryan and The Terminator and Groundhog Day. But then yeah. I thought about it later. I'm like, no, because... Uh, Saving Private Ryan was so gruesome. This movie's never gruesome, actually. But you know why you think it's Saving Private Ryan? And here's because you're storming the beaches of Norway. Because you're storming the beach at Verdun. <laughs> what? You're not. You're storming the beach at Verdun, and clearly all the footage that you're seeing is is lifted exactly from all the footage we've seen in Normandy, and that and so that's puzzling. And so I was kind of like, this movie is a World War is drawing it's drawing all this stuff from World War II. So I don't quite... But only the Europe part. Right, but only the Europe part, only the European <laughs> which front. Thought, which I thought a lot about while watching this movie. Right. I mean, well, no, that's not true, because I didn't think at all watching this movie. But after watching the movie, <laughs> I, I was thinking like, oh, this is World War II, but only the Europe part. We're not going to talk about Asia at all. We're not which is weird, about... because it's based on a Japanese light novel. It's based on a oh, Japanese really? young adult novel. So that's odd, because really? I don't... Right, and I don't understand why I don't quite get that connection. And then I also really don't get why Emily Blunt is clearly playing Joan of Arc. She's called the Angel of Verdun, and she's walking around with a curved breastplate and swinging a sword. She's clearly Joan of Arc. And I just keep thinking, what, what is Europe all this? Europe will rise again. It's, Stop trying to take down Europe, Rayford. It's so Europe bizarre, though. Rise. I don't get it. I don't get it. it. Thematically, it makes no sense. Logically, it makes no sense. It doesn't, it doesn't even make any sense within its own world. But you know what? Sometimes things don't need to make sense. Like, think they, about... The, the ending of this movie, actually, I actually when the, when the movie ended and I walked out, I kept thinking to myself... Did I miss something? Have I just completely misunderstood the whole plot of this movie? How could that ending be possible? I'm not, I know what you're saying. Do you know what I'm saying? I know exactly what you're saying, but I'm afraid that if I explain it to you on mic, I'll be no, spoiling. No, we, no yes. we can't spoil it. We no, can't, can't spoil it. it. But when we're off mic, I have to explain it to you. Oh, you can explain the ending to me? Oh, yeah. I can totally explain the ending to you. Okay. Wow. You know? All right. You and I will have to converse you know after will, the podcast. I will explain it. I'll make a big chart. Maybe in a couple of weeks, I'll put it on our website <laughs> after the spoiling period. Spoiler alert. We'll, okay, yes, okay. We'll do that. We'll but, do that. But there actually is some logic to it. But, you know, I just – I can't believe you broke your own rules so badly of trying to get caught up in logic. All right. Maybe you're right. What, so what do you say? Do you say good, good date? Okay date? I thought it was kind of an enjoyable date. What? I thought it was a, I thought it was a <laughs> goofy, goofy date. It was stupid and good fun. Just think about it this way, Rafer. Sometimes you're on a date with someone and you don't even know why you're connecting with them. And you know they're kind of stupid. <laughs> maybe they're pretty. 
maybe they're like half of what comes out of their mouth makes no sense, but you're kind of like, I'm having a good time on this date. It's like that old orange juice song. I hope to God I'm not as dumb as you make out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. I you don't, don't know. need to go on a second date with this movie. <laughs> I would. It was just a really that's fun for sure. like, one-time date. I don't know. I, I I enjoyed this date. Okay. For some reason, I I couldn't I couldn't go with it. I just couldn't do it. Oh, Rafer. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. But but I think that maybe we'll have a little bit more excitement talking about our our next movie date. The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, yes, yes. I'm so excited about this. All right, Kristen, you you tell us about The Fault in Our Stars. Now, this is based on a best-selling young adult novel of the same name, and it follows a young girl. She's 16 years old, played by Shailene Woodley, and uh, she is living with cancer, dying with cancer, depending on how you want to look at it, and just trying to live a normal life and be a teenager. And her parents are trying to help her with that, push her out there and meet friends and try to enjoy what life she has left. She meets a boy who also has cancer. And for the first time in her life, she understands what it's like not just to live with cancer, but to love somebody who has cancer. And she says early on, What's worse than dying of cancer? Loving somebody who's dying of cancer. And she sees what that's like. She feels what that's like. We're along on the journey with her throughout that. And I'm just about to cry. I can tell. I can tell. (laughs) All right, let's play a clip. Hey, so I'm saying I wouldn't mind. It'd be a privilege to have my heart broken by you. Gus, I'm a grenade. One day I'm going to explode. I'm going to obliterate everything in my wake and... I don't know. I just, I feel like it's my responsibility to minimize the casualties. Now, Rafer, I'm just going to put it all out there. Do it. So right after the movie, listeners, uh, Rafer and I did not sit with each other during this movie. Every once in a while, Rafer and I will sit together. Every once in a while, we don't. It it just depends on when we show up at the theater. But uh, immediately after this movie was done, I texted Rafer and I said, I'm not sure if you heard the woman hysterically crying in the back of the theater for almost two hours straight. (laughs) But I think that this movie should come with a warning, may cause uncontrollable and excessive crying. Now, Rafer, what did you text back to me? I said, I'm not sure if you heard the the rustle of fabric from the front row. That was me crossing my arms. (laughs) You know, you and I had two very different reactions to this. Let's talk about why you hate teenagers with cancer so much, Rafer. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about why you hate young love so much and why you... (laughs) Just tell me, tell me, what's going on in your head right now? I need to hear. These questions, you you make a good political operative, (laughs) Kristen. (laughs) You should run for office. Why do you hate your country? (laughs) Um, Okay, Uh, here, it's not that I hate any of those things. I I love teenagers. And I I love them whether or not they have cancer. Um, I think, here's what I object to. I, I love a good love story. And I think, I think a good teen love story is a great, wonderful, and rare thing. What I don't like is this new kind of attitude that, that came along, I think, sometime in the 90s. I guess as postmodernism was kind of reaching its peak. This new attitude of self-commentary and self-awareness. And this movie has a lot of that. And, it, and what it basically tries to do is strike a pose of saying, oh, I know that you're, you know, that you're all familiar with the cancer genre and and all the sappiness that goes along with it. But this is not one of those movies. Uh, uh, Hazel Grace, the main character played by Woodley, has this voiceover at the beginning of the film where she specifically 
calls out the movie Say Anything. She specifically targets mm-hmm. Say Anything as an example of what this movie's not going to be. You know, she says, this is not one of those stories where beautiful people learn beautiful lessons and there's no problem that can't be solved by a Peter Gabriel song. This movie is the truth. Sorry, she says in the voiceover. And God, I'm about to cry. You're about to so cry, true. aren't you? It's yeah. So good. But here's the thing. This movie is not the truth. This is a movie about beautiful people living, learning beautiful lessons. It's completely Hollywood. There's nothing brutal about it. And it, it, it is Say Anything. It's, it's love story. It's, it's, the, it's the, old, the old Ryan O'Neill movie from 1970. And I just wish the movie would have been honest about what it's trying to do. I think what it's trying to do is get you to cry. And oh, that, yeah. And that's okay. But stop telling me that this is all so dark and, and brutal and honest. It's not. Having cancer is brutal. There's nothing. I think there's very little brutal about there it in the ER film. There are ER scenes. You know, I, uh, the, have you, did you read the book? There's somebody who's going blind in the movie. It, but it's all so, it's all, everyone's got such a perfect little teenage bon mot to sort of greet the, each situation with. Some, yeah. some pun, some joke. No one's ever at a loss for words. No one's ever saying anything uneloquent. No, and I, real. And it's all very. It's all very. You know, everyone's funny, quick, sharp. They've all got exactly the right thing to say. And the movie is filled with all this flowery poetry. I, you know, I love you, Hazel Grace. You know, I know that eventually the God, the world, again. our world, will fall into the sun. And I love you. Yes. And, yes. And, and if you've yes. seen the trailer, if you've seen the trailer. That's all it is. It's just nothing but flowery speeches. And I remember when the trailer was running around in theaters, I remember thinking, wow, they're really laying on the Cameron Crowe thing really hard here. And then I see the movie and they start they start calling out Cameron Crowe like they're Keith Olbermann calling out Bill O'Reilly or something. <laughs> and I just kind of thought, what? good grief. You know, well, what What are you doing? OK, Rafer, I will give this to you. It is doing some of those things. It's a lot of the romance, the flowery language. And in some ways, cancer is a really lazy, easy way to yes. get somebody to feel the intensity of love on a higher level because there's something at stake and this probably isn't going to last. Right. I get it. I understand why you might have an issue with that. I understand why you're comparing it to Love Story. But let me just say something about teenage girls. I'm not a teenage girl, but I was one once. You are in your heart. <laughs> I'm actually kind of like an 85-year-old lady in my heart <laughs> and a teenager all in one. I'm like Rose Nyland from the Golden Girls. But, right. um, but my point is, you know how teenage boys want to see a bunch of people fighting and killing each other? Yes. Teenage girls want to see people dying. Yes. I, I, that's, I, I'm aware of that. I'm you know, aware of that. You amp up the emotion so high. You have all these hormones and feelings and things you're wrestling with, and you don't quite know how to channel them into anything constructive. And everything's kind of borderline psychotic. And most psychologists will say a teenager's brain is kind of on the same level as a mentally ill person as yes. far as how logical it's operating. Yes. Everything's very, very black and white, right? And, it, and, so it's, and there's intense. actually something I, I, I read somewhere. That there's actually something kind of clinical about how your lobes are fusing at that, at that <laughs> yes. point in your development where, like, you're wired to see everything that way. Yeah, you are a nut at that age. Right. And if you can just come up with a simple allegory that you're taking everything that's explosive in your brain, you're channeling it into something like either fighting aliens or fighting cancer, it all just works out so well. The boys can leave there and feel, like, pumped up. The girls yeah. can leave there crying. Everyone's happy. <laughs> all right? I I will say a couple of good things about this movie. One is Laura Dern. 
as Shailene Oh, my Woodley's God. Mother. Every time the camera would pan over to Laura Dern. She's great. Oh, my God. So I have to say I'm at the age now where I'm so much closer to being the age of the parents than right. my kids in this movie. And so, you, you know, you see Shailene and she's like, you know – young and pretty and dying but then they pan over to Laura Dern who's trying so hard to keep on a brave face for her daughter yes. every time they'd move over to her brave face I would just collapse into right. a puddle of tears and oh did you, you admit it you cried a little bit with Laura Dern. I mean I look I ha, you know a movie lays it on this thick you're gonna choke up a little bit toward the end like I can't I can't deny that I got a little oh, misty good. oh good I can't <laughs> deny that oh I'm so glad but I mean you I'm know I'm so glad I but I I, I guess so. I like Laura Dern. I like Shailene Woodley. I thought she was pretty good. I will say that one of the things, the main thing, no, not the main thing, one of the things I did not like about this movie was Ansel Elgort as Augustus Waters, the dreamboat. I didn't think he's he was, a little too perfect. He he wasn't dreamy. Oh, he yes, seemed he was. smarmy. He seemed kind of in in fact, <laughs> the entire time the movie was building up, I kept thinking, oh, he's going to be a psychotic. He's going to – I kept thinking he's – I kept thinking of an education with Peter Sarsgaard. I kept no. thinking, oh, he's going to be – there's some – some shoe is going to drop here where it turns out that he's a he compulsive liar. Have he doesn't actually have cancer. <laughs> he's got so, – there's something weird, but, but they'll fall in love anyway and they'll overcome this. But there's going to be some secret, some weird thing about him that's going to – that's going to explode this perfect picture. No, he's actually totally perfect. And that I thought was really boring. No, I understand. That's what you're not saying. the he's, truth. He's Sorry. <laughs> do you know? Do you know what I mean? No, I understand what you're saying. He is a little too perfect. It's like Titanic syndrome, a little bit. It's a little bit Titanic syndrome. Uh, yeah, but I did not get that sense of vulnerability and humanity um, that you get from DiCaprio in Titanic uh, from Ansel Elgort. I thought I I just thought his character was. Um, it, 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 it's the way it's written. I, I, I read the book. The book, if anything, is actually a, a tiny bit more realistic and a little more hard-hitting than the movie. Again. Hold on. You have the book. Uh, do you want to loan it to me? Or do you I'll check to- it out I'll from I'll the library? You, no, I, I bought it. I'll tell oh, you. Oh, you bought it. Yeah. Oh, great. Totally I'm done. I'm it. done with it. You can have it. <laughs> I just want to cry some more. <laughs> you can totally cry <laughs> some more. I cry and cry and cry forever. And I, but I, and I also want to point out um, part of the movie's – part of the subplot in the movie is that they go to Amsterdam to meet her favorite author, the author of a novel about cancer called – an imperial affliction, written by a guy named Peter Van Houten. They go to visit him. He's played by Willem Dafoe yes. in a scene that I thought was so weirdly played and ineffective. And it would the whole scene just threw the tone of the movie off. I didn't understand what was happening, where this movie was going, what was being said to me, what the character was supposed to represent. He's the kind of misanthrope, Salinger-esque type character. I could not make heads or tails of what that movie was trying to communicate to me, except it falls into the movie's sort of middle-brow literary pretensions, no, Shakespeare, it, Dickinson, Salinger, all rep- the usual suspects, you he know. She represents what she's scared her parents will become after she dies. She's what desperately she's her looking. Parents will become? She's, des- she's desperately afraid that her parents won't be able to move on after she dies, and that's one of her main concerns throughout this whole movie is what's going to happen to my parents when I die. I uh, and he's like the laziest, most awful version. I'm going to become self-involved, bitter, and alcoholic. Because I, you you have some choices of how to yeah. deal with overwhelming grief. You can go the lazy route, which is I'm going to just be a puddle of self-pity, or you can go the harder route, which is I'm going to try to live my life still. Huh. And she just wants some assurance of that, which is why she goes there in the first place. Ugh, Rafer. <laughs> 
Schaefer. <laughs> okay. Tell me okay. you were watching. You didn't just zone out and start texting during the movie, did you? I thought it was a pretty meh date. I just love this date so much. Uh, I love this. I want this date to go on and on and on. I want to go steady with this date. Good date. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we should move on to the next survival story we, we have, though, which is about surviving high school. Yes. Including some kind of smarmy teachers and mm. some kind of weird kids. Yeah, let's play a clip. All right. Step one for doing homework is turning off your phone. Fine. Okay. Now, it's simple. The way to write a good history paper is to choose your event and then just explain why it happened. History is just... Explaining why things happen. But what if I don't think there's a reason for something happening? Well, then you need to think harder. Yeah, but I do things all the time for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's because you're young and you don't know why you do things, but there's always a reason. The movie is called Palo Alto. It's based on James Franco's debut book of short stories, and it is the debut directing film of uh, Gia Coppola. Uh, we're going to talk to her in just a minute. Gia Coppola, director and writer of Palo Alto, the new film adaptation of the James Franco story collection of the same name. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, So let's talk first about how this um, came about. How did you meet James Franco and how did you guys decide to make this movie? I had just finished college and I went to back to L.A. where, where my mom lives and I was just at a deli with my friends and I saw him there and I was just like kind of giggling and then later that (laughs) night I saw him again and my mom had a mutual friend of his and she had met him and so she and she she'd always been talking like oh I think you guys would really um, get along you have a lot of uh, similar interests and uh, she brought him over and introduced us and and yeah, I was just talking about photography because I had just graduated Bard College for that, and and um, we stayed in touch. And I sent him some of my photographs, and he kind of said like, we should collaborate. And I have a few different ideas, and one of them is is to make Palo Alto, his book of short stories, into a feature length film because he was uh, looking for someone else's interpretation to kind of direct it. What What do you think made James Franco decide to take kind of a risk with you and decide to entrust you with this book that he had written? I think my photographs, it, it, it was a, a tone that he was, I guess, thought was, was suitable for that. And I just loved the book because it felt really authentic and it was really about the emotions. And and I was like at a perfect time in my life where I had enough distance from my awkward teenage years to kind of understand them a bit better, but was still um, close enough to kind of n- know what that, that all felt like and know how to like that it felt real. Quick question about adapting this. So his book, for people who haven't read it before, it's a collection of short stories. This isn't a novel, but you're making a feature film with a through line in it. So you kind of had to rewrite all of this. What were the challenges of that? I was so excited by the opportunity that I I don't think I knew that by using short stories was any different than having like a structured novel. And so I just highlighted all of the parts that I liked and I tried to just extract the essence of these sort of characters' lives and, and following their storyline is, is the plot, not so much like um, a traditional kind of beginning, middle, and end. Now, this is your first movie. 
but uh, it's not your first time on a movie set. You've also been on the set with your Aunt Sophia. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? I worked um, on somewhere in the wardrobe department. Uh, I was just interested in seeing how all the different departments work and that was really like a lot of just kind of going off and making returns but it was good and to experience that and understand the like hours of a movie and that kind of work ethic uh yeah it was interesting and I worked on my grandpa's movie um Twixt on behind the scenes so that was also like a film education what do you think you learned from them visually in terms of you know composing your shots making choices uh trying to figure out how to tell this story in a visual way I felt very comfortable in the visual kind of aspect about making a f- movie because I had a photography background and I n- knew I was going to work with my team of and friends um, from my smaller projects. And so we have a great kind of collaborative r- relationship and especially with my DP, um, you know, we knew that we wanted to keep the camera still. And I guess I learned that from my family too that just generally their taste isn't necessarily like a shaky camera kind of style and they like to keep things still. So that that sort of developed my taste for that. And But I, I loved photography, so I used a lot of that kind of reference and Stephen Shore was my professor, so I kind of have a, a great respect for him. He's a good professor. Yeah, he was amazing. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about the cast for a moment. How did you select this cast? Emma Roberts, um, obviously James Franco's in it. We have uh, Jack Kilmer and so on. How did you cast all these great folks? Everything kind of felt very cosmic. I ran into James in this w- random way, and I kept running into Emma, and I I didn't really know her that well, but I was a, f- a fan of her work, and you know she was very supportive, and she was fun to have around, and, and she's been acting since she's nine, so I, I knew that I could um, learn from her. And with Jack, I'd known him since he was four years old. I in elementary school, I had to mentor his grade or that was part of the program. And so he was always in and out of my life. And and he just felt like much more um, interesting than all the other kids I was meeting because he was just really a teenager and was just has a natural quality about him that you, you just find very captivating. And so it just felt right with him. And 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 James, he's an amazing actor, so I, I wanted to work with him in that sort of capacity and learn about acting. And he's the author, so he could tell me his inspirations behind the characters. And he's a director, so he could help me when I needed help. Um, and that was a really hard character to play, so I felt like I needed someone to help me figure out how to deal with that sort of relationship of the Emma Roberts, James Franco character. The thing where he is so charming but so... <laughs> yeah. Yeah, potentially inappropriate at the same time. <laughs> but what, what was interesting, what he did was like, you know, it's so easy to make that kind of cliche or over the top. And um, he just played it kind of normally so that what he's doing is is creepy enough. And like, um, uh, and, 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 you know, he's not playing it over the top or anything, which is, which was, um, was something I learned. There's a brief moment in the, film when someone is watching television and a very iconic scene from Fast Times at Ridgemont High comes on the screen. What what were your other favorite teen films and, and films that informed the making of this one? I love American Graffiti, uh, Days and Confused, uh, Last Picture Show, obviously my, my family's movies, Outsiders and Virgin Suicides and Rumblefish. Now, obvious question here, you've mentioned your family quite a bit. Does 
being a Coppola, do you feel that that has more benefits because it opens doors and gives you experience? Or do you feel like it's a challenge because you have to really live up to a big name? It definitely helps open doors, but at the same time, it's like there's a lot more, I guess, pressure and attention to live up to. But, I mean, we struggled to get financing, and we were making this through James's production company. And so it's not interesting for me to, like, take advantage of things, and I want to try and do it on my own. Gia Coppola, thank (laughs) you so much for being here today. Director and writer of Palo Alto, the new film adaptation of the James Franco short story collection of the same name. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, Kristen, we've come to the end of another podcast. Ooh, it's trivia time. (laughs) It's time for trivia. Okay, last week we'd been talking about movies where heroes and villains, the line was sort of not quite clear. And we thought of a character who has been both. We played you this clip. No, don't do it. Don't go. It has to end here. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I know now why you cry. But it's something I can never do. We asked you to name that movie, and here is the right answer. Hey, guys. uh, This is Curtis from Sac City, Iowa. I uh, heard your plea that more people call in to play the movie date quiz, so I decided to answer your prayers. The name of the movie for this week is Terminator 2. So I've got you in my contacts. Uh, expect to hear more from me. Thanks, guys. Ooh, representing the Midwest, Represent. Iowa. Great. And yes, we do love it when you call in. More of you should call in. Yes, put us in your contacts. Nobody has speed dial anymore, do they? They just have contacts. Yeah, but they also have, there's this thing in your smartphone called favorites where you can just hit that favorite thing and then you call them. Is that what that's for? Yes. Oh, okay. You're I in just... my favorites, Rafer. Thanks. Yeah. I just always use recents. Oh. Whatever that is. Oh, but that's I don't smart. I don't do favorites. I'm you so, should. You I'm should. so un I'm so unwired. No, make me your favorite. Okay, do I it. will. Do it. All right. So this week for trivia, we are asking a question uh inspired by Gia Coppola, who we loved talking with, the lovely Gia Coppola. Now, she's just one of many very famous Coppolas in the industry. Some Coppolas actually use the last name Coppola. Some of them use different last names. We're going to play a clip of one of the Coppolas in a movie. We want you to tell us which one of the Coppola family members this is and what the movie is. What's the secret, Max? The secret? I think you just got to find something you love to do and then do it for the rest of your life. Sharp little guy. He's one of the worst students we've got. If you know who that Coppola is, name that Coppola, and the name of that movie, give us a call. 5717movies. And you can always visit us at facebook.com slash podcast. And we want to give a special shout out and thank you once again to the amazing Jay Cowett, technical director of The Takeaway, for his terrific music. He's been making some great songs for us recently. We love him. First I was afraid of the aliens Kept thinking I could never live with Tom Cruise in my lens But then I spent so many nights thinking about faults in our stars And I grew strong And I learned how to get along And so you're back from outer space You just walked into high school with that sad look on your face I should have heard the movie date I should have heard all the reviews If I had known for just one second All the crap you'd try to view Oh no, not you We will survive As long as movie date is always by my side 
And I got all my films to live I got popcorn left to give And I'll survive We will survive Hey, hey